I, I, I hope you'll make noise because I can't tell if you're out there or not. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. Should have brought my shades with me. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I guess you get used to this. I'm not sure. But uh, hallelujah. This is the day the Lord has made. It, and uh, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I, I just appreciate the opportunity to come and share. And I appreciate the pastor uh, allowing me to come and speak to his congregation and you know, I, I count that as a, a real privilege and an honor. Uh, you know, the pastors are, they're the shepherds of the flock, and they have to watch out who uh, comes and, and uh, deals with, with his people. And so I, I just count it a real privilege and a real honor to get to stand before you this morning and uh, thank the pastor and his wife. We had a good time of fellowship last evening. And, I've just met them, but feel like I've known them for a long time. Isn't that the way the family of God works? You, you get acquainted real quick, and uh, that's, that's an awesome thing. So uh, just what a joy. to I've, I've never been wherever I am this morning. I've, I've, <laughs> I, I had a plane ticket to Orlando, but I don't, I'm not sure I was ever in Orlando after uh, this week. I did the... Bible school yesterday, I think it's in Lake Mary, I'm not sure, and I, I stayed in a hotel, I think it was Mount Dora. Uh, I have no idea where I am this morning, so I, I am still in Florida, is that correct? So, and uh, it's a good time to be here. I talked to my wife uh, yesterday evening, and uh, Saturday they had uh, 12 inches of snow and it's 13 degrees this morning. And uh, so she asked, how was the weather down here? And I said, oh, they're having a cold spell. Uh, <laughs> people are running around with coats and toboggans on and, and uh, don't have any snow yet, but they're forecasting rain. So I, I didn't want her to feel bad uh, in, in all of the weather that's going on there. But it is a joy to be with you. and. You know, I, I uh, really feel like the Bible uh, teaches us that you need to know those who labor among you. And, and most of you, you, you don't, you, you've never seen me, never heard me. And, and so a little brief introduction. Uh, I uh, won't, won't bore you with all the details, but it was, it was uh, I was a, a grown man I, before I really came into a relationship with Jesus, and it was a result not of of some preacher or anything. It was the it was a man I worked for. He was my boss, and he lived the life of Jesus before me, and uh, he lived the life in such a way that he he made me understand that you could know God on a personal level. You know, I had gone to church. I was brought up in a Christian home, and but I never heard even preachers talk about how personal uh, God could be. And this this individual was uh, on a regular basis, and I never had a boss before that was that was uh, lived a positive life and a joyful life. Seemed like all the boss, bosses I had before him was always just trying to figure out what you did wrong. Yeah. And, and so this had a great impact on me, and, and so. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but uh, our, our job situation changed. He moved back to Virginia. I was still living in Texas, and I just uh, felt uh, a, a real vacancy in my life when he moved. And so I went to see him in, in Virginia. He had driven from Texas all the way across the country to Danville, Virginia, and got in late Saturday night, excited to see him. He said, well... We need to go to bed. Uh, we got church in the morning. And I came within a half an inch of being offended. And uh, I know you, you can't relate to that, but I'd driven like 1,200 miles to see him. And he says, we've got to go to church in the morning. And he said, well, you, can, you don't have to go. You can stay here, and we'll visit when church is over. And I said, no, I, I came to see you, so I'll go to. So I, that morning, I met Jesus. And uh, 
it was because of this man's life before me that I saw that you could have a real experience with Jesus. It wasn't just something that uh, people talked about, and uh, he lived it. And that's what, and after I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't have that vacancy that I thought was him, but it was the Jesus in him that I was after. And after I got Jesus for myself, I didn't have to be with him any longer. And so back to Texas. And then over the years, we got involved in church and really excited about the things of God and uh, very active. And uh, in one week's time, I had three people to come to me. And, and in the church, I just started teaching Sunday school. It was a Southern Baptist Church. Everybody say, God bless the Baptists. <laughs> they, they're good folks. Uh, they, uh, I was teaching Sunday school, and then I became a Sunday school superintendent, then I became a deacon, then I became a chairman of the deacons, and then I was on every, every kind of committee they had. And so in one, one week's time, I had three people come to me and ask me, did I think God was calling me into the ministry? And I had never even given a thought about that. One of them was actually my mother-in-law. So I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I've had three people ask me this week. I think God was calling me into the ministry. I don't understand how all that works. What do you think? He said, well, I'm glad you finally figured it out. I've known it for a while. So uh, I said, so what do I do now? And he said, well, you need to go to seminary. And uh, I said, well, okay, that's, uh, that's what I'll do. So I made an attempt to go to seminary, but I'm, I'm a seminary reject. They wouldn't have me uh, and <laughs> for various reasons and uh, very disappointed because I was just trying to be obedient. And, and yet that wasn't in God's plan. But a uh, short time passed and, and there were a lot of things happened in between. But I got a phone call just out of the blue from a lady that I hadn't seen in five or six years, and my only acquaintance with her was that uh, my wife and her daughter had gone to school together. And to this day, I still don't know how this lady knew this, but she said, I understand you're going into the ministry. I said, well, I, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And she said, well, our pastor resigned, and we don't have anybody to fill the pulpit on Sunday. Would you, would you be willing to do that? I said, well, let me get back to you. So I called my pastor. I said, what should I do? And he said, go for it. It'd be good practice. So we went and preached that morning, that night. I hate to, I hate to say I preached. or it was, it was pretty pathetic. I'm glad they didn't record those services because they could certainly be held against me. I was very nervous. Uh, I had about 20 pages of notes, and I finished them up in about 12 minutes. But, you know... It, it was a Baptist church, so I could have them saying just as I am one more time for the last 30 minutes and uh, get all those saved people saved again. Uh, so they said, well, we don't have anybody next week. Would you come back? And so we went back the next Sunday and did a little better in the messages on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Those were the first four messages, if you could call them that, that I ever shared with anybody. And Sunday night after the service, they called me in the church office and said, uh, well, what are your plans? And I said, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. And they said, well, we'd like for you to come pastor the church. Now, that was a surprise. I thought, they must be desperate. <laughs> and so we prayed about it, and circumstances changed, and we went to pastor uh, a little Southern Baptist church there in Texas right off of uh, Mrs. Barron's bread route. I was uh, delivering bread uh, to supermarkets and grocery stores and restaurants. And so I stepped into that position as a pastor totally ignorant. And I don't mind confessing it. I, I didn't know why I should be there, but I felt like it was God put me there. So I, I went to the uh, pastor of the largest Baptist church in that town and Got an appointment with him, asked him would he be my mentor. I just accepted the pastorate, and I said I haven't uh, had any training, so would you kind of take me under your wing and, and uh, help me to learn how to pastor? And he said, no, sir, you need to go to seminary. Well, I'd already tried that, and it didn't work. So then I, the only thing I knew to do was read the Bible and pray. Hallelujah. Isn't that a novel idea for a pastor? <laughs> And, and so, uh, so God blessed us, and 
And uh, in the second year uh, that I was pastoring, I came across some verses that I'd never seen as a Baptist, and it talked about the Holy Ghost. And uh, I found out it was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, and all through the book of Acts, that Jesus uh, was going to do something for me after I got born again. And uh, I was reading those verses where John the Baptist would say, you know, I, I indeed baptize you with water, but the one coming after me whose lace, shoelaces I'm not worthy to lose, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. I didn't know what that meant. I'd never been exposed to that. And yet, it was all through the Bible, and since I didn't know any better, hadn't been trained any better, I just thought, well, I need that. And so I, I spent some time, and I don't know why I do it, but I'd go out to the church and sit on the piano bench, and I, I'd say, Lord, I don't know what this is, but I think I need this baptism in the Holy Ghost, whatever it is. And I'd sit there. It didn't seem like nothing happened, so I'd do it the next day, and I don't know how long I did that. And then I, I started reading about this strange phenomena that certainly had not been mentioned in the Baptist church. And it seemed like everybody, every time somebody got baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. Now, what in the world are tongues? I had no idea. Now, I told you I was ignorant, and now you're seeing how ignorant I really was. Uh, the only time I had heard about tongues was before our, any of this other stuff happened, me going into the ministry. But several years before, uh, after I got born again, we got very active in church, but there's a period of time that because of everything they said I had to do, I kind of got burned out and wasn't going to church at that time. And I sitting in, uh, every once in a while, my wife would, would encourage me to go to church for our children's sake. And so to accommodate her, we'd go. And so... Anyhow, sitting there in the house one day, the doorbell rang. I opened it up. And there were two ladies there, had their big Bibles under their arm, and they said, we're visiting from a church that we had just around the corner from where we lived, and we'd been there a couple of times to satisfy my wife. And they said, we're out visiting for the church, and so I invited them in. You know, when you're not serving the Lord, how spiritual you get? <laughs> and, and so I uh, invited them in, sat down, and I said, you know, uh, we visited your church several times, and I really do like your pastor. Well, that didn't excite these two ladies. They started kind of clucking their tongues and going, shaking their head. And I, I knew he was an older fellow, and I thought, well, now I brought up a sad subject. He's probably passed away. And now I brought him up, and these ladies, and they, they just sat there, and I said, what in the world happened to him? And they got real quiet and serious, and they looked at me, and they said, the tongues got him. Now, God knows I'm telling the truth. Some of you are old enough in here to remember a movie called The Blob with Steve McQueen. And there was this object fell from outer space and, and landed, and a farmer and his little dog went to check it out, and there was this green blob of stuff that got on him and consumed him. And this thing began to grow and crawl through town, and every time it consume somebody would get a little bigger. When they said the tongues got him, I had a vision of a giant tongue. <laughs> and I got to thinking, my kids had lost a couple of kittens in the tree, and, and I was sure the tongues had got the kittens. Anyhow, back to my testimony. I, I, I found that in the Bible, and I started praying, God baptized me in the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to speak in tongues, whatever that is, and Long story short, it eventually happened, and uh, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues, and then I made a decision that I couldn't be a Baptist any longer because they didn't believe it, so I tried to join the Assembly of God because they did believe it, and God stopped me and said, this is not an experience just for Assembly of God people. This is for all my children. They all need it. And I said, you know how we have to explain things to God because he doesn't understand everything. And so I said, Lord, I can't. Baptists don't believe this, so I, I, I have to leave. And he said, no, you don't have to leave if you'll do what I tell you. And so I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, I want you to start teaching these people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, but God, they don't believe this. And he said, that's why you need to teach it. 
So anyhow, he told me how to do it. Nobody left the church, but at the end of the year, he uh, uh, said, now, since you've taught it, you can, I want you to go to another town and plant a church, a New Testament church, based upon New Testament patterns and principles. And now it's all that we'll hear that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, proclaiming the full counsel of the Word of God with balance. Amen. And so we, we did that, and we were there for 18 years, and then Andrew Womack, some of you are familiar with Andrew, uh, called me and said, uh, uh, I'm, God told me to start a Bible college and that you're supposed to be a part of it. Uh, so I'd like for you to move to Colorado and help me start this. And so series of events, we resigned our church, moved and went to work for Andrew in Karis Bible College. And, and it sent, that was in 1994. And so I've been involved in Bible colleges ever since. And those lessons that I taught that last year I was a Baptist became a course at Karis Bible College on uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, 24 lessons. And so God is faithful and brought me uh, to this place. And I guess my life verse, if I have one, is First Thessalonians 5.24 that simply says, Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. And I know that and I can testify that after 50 years, he's still doing it. Amen. And so I'm blessed to be with you, and, and uh, I just think it's important that you have a little background on whoever stands before you and know that it's not just somebody that walked in off the street and asked, could he say something? So hopefully I'll have something to be of value today. Let me ask a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something uh, that you don't hear very often in our full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, spirit-filled, New Testament churches, or whatever we are. <laughs> I still haven't figured out what we are. I may, may get counsel from the pastor today to see if he can explain to me. But whatever we are, uh, you don't hear this talked about very much, but I want to talk about it with you because I think it's important. It's been important to me, and I, I, I think it will uh, minister to you. Let me ask you a question and I, I, I just have to, by faith, believe you answer it because I can't see you. <laughs> but uh, how many of you have ever uh, been in a situation where the harder you tried, the worse it seemed to get? <laughs> Anybody like that? Yeah. Well, there's about four, <laughs> five. <laughs> this is not an auction. I was just asking the truth. You tell the truth. And, and so... I want to deal with today, uh, what do you do when it seems like everything is going wrong? And uh, I, I believe the scripture will give us some answers here. Uh, i tell you one thing, as a Christian, if you've decided, and I believe you have or you wouldn't be here, uh, to really live by faith, contrary to some real popular teachings, there are going to be times that it will seem like, and notice that's the key word, it will seem like as if everything is going in the wrong direction. You know, we preach faith and, and victory and living an overcoming life, and that's all absolutely true. But uh, when we talk about being overcomers, most of us don't ever want anything to overcome. When we like to preach about that we're more than conquerors, we very seldom ever want to have anything we have to conquer. We all want a wonderful testimony, but without the test, it's only a money. <laughs> so we have to realize that things don't always go as smoothly as we'd like to proclaim they would that if you've given your life to Jesus. And it really shouldn't surprise us because Jesus warned us before he left, in John 16, 33, he made a very uh, dramatic statement that a lot of people don't pay much attention to, and you certainly don't have the promise on your refrigerator door, but John 16, 33 says this, and I wanna, I wanna break it down just a little bit because in the beginning of that verse, it says, these things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. You know, most people just read that, but they never think about what he had just spoken. 
And so before we go to the last part of the verse, let's go back to the first part of the verse and find out what had he just spoken to them that he said you could have peace about. Well, you have to go back to John 14 uh, to get the beginning of what he's talking about. And in John 14, 1, the first thing he says is, let not your heart be troubled. You realize Jesus is saying you've got a choice whether you have a troubled heart or you don't have a troubled heart. And he didn't say anything about that he would give you an untroubled heart. He just said for you to make a choice. Let not your heart be troubled. And then he goes on and he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So the first thing he said we can have peace about is our future. How I many of you know this life is temporary? It's, it's <laughs> this life that we're living now is not going to continue forever. And the Bible talks about, you know, that there's coming a day that the Lord's going to return with a shout. And uh, we which are alive and remain are going to be called up together with them. And those that have died are going to precede us. They're going to go first. So we know this, that everything about this life is temporary. So Jesus is saying you can have peace about your future. I've got it covered. And I like to say it this way, our future is just really out of this world. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and he says, I'm preparing you a place. Um, and don't want to mess anybody's religious thinking up, but there won't be any little cabins in the corner of glory. They're all going to be mansions. And he said that he was working on ours even as he spoke then. So can you imagine what your mansion's going to look like? Because, you know, Jesus was a master carpenter while he was here on earth. And he's been working on them all this time. So he says, don't worry about your future. You can have peace about your future. It's settled. Hallelujah. Once you give your life to Jesus, your future is confirmed. And it's going to be awesome. You can just let your imagination go wild thinking about a mansion on streets of gold, foundations of precious stone, a gate of pearl. Hallelujah. I don't have anything down here that compares to that. And, and so he says, I got your future covered, so you can have peace about that. And then he immediately in chapter 15 begins to talk about, and I'm not going to leave you alone. If I leave, I'm going to send the comforter who's going to come, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to abide with you forever. And he told his disciples, he's been with you, but the day's coming, he's going to be in you. Hallelujah. How many of you know that ought to give you peace to know you're never alone? Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is continually living in us seven days a week, 365 days a year, and from now on. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and if I be for you, then who or what would dare be against you? So he's given us those things that we can have peace when we begin to meditate on all that he's provided for us and everything that Jesus did at Calvary became a yes and an amen for you and I. So he said, think on those things because those are certain and they're going, they're going to give you peace. But then he didn't stop. The next part of that verse says, but in the world. <laughs> and you know we're still here right now. He says, but in the world. You will have, not maybe. <laughs> he says, you will have some difficulties. The King James says you will have tribulation. And that can be defined. You can look it up for yourself as problems, difficulties, hard times. Just, just uh, you know, it's, it's not anything good. Jesus said you're going to have them in this world. But then he didn't end there. Because the next part of the verse is the one that most of us don't pay any attention to. He says, but when the, when the tribulation comes, be of good cheer. Right. Now, I'm not even going to ask anybody this morning, but last time you had a problem, how many of you cheered up? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's trying to tell us that we ought to respond to difficulties different to a person that doesn't know him. Be of good cheer. Amen. And then he ended it by saying, because I have overcome the world. Yes. Now, I, I make a confession, and I've, I've confessed this 
to the Lord, so I'm, I'm clean. <laughs> but the first time I read that is when I was pastoring that little Baptist church. And uh, I, I know the pastor can relate to this. I'm not sure anybody else did. But as a pastor, things don't always just go as smooth as you'd like for them to. And sometimes you have some difficult people to come across your path and kind of challenge your your uh, theology and challenge your leadership, and, and things can get tough. And so I was going through one of those periods, and, and I, I read this verse. And I said, uh, well, I, I, I can recognize this is what you'd identify as tribulation, but it's the next part I'm, I'm dealing with, uh, being of good cheer. And, and the reason I can be of good cheer, as you put down there, you've overcome the world. And right out of my mouth, I think I said it out loud. Well, good for you, Jesus, but what about me? <laughs> and, and that's what the Lord taught me about 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. We won't go there, but it just simply says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Yeah. Then he asks the question, who is he that overcomes the world? And then he answers his own question. He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Anybody in here believe Jesus is the Son of God? Well, according to the Word of God, you're a world overcomer. But how does that happen? Well, the verse before that says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We have to believe that we're overcomers in order to be an overcomer. And so as we look at this this morning, what do you do when these things that Jesus said were going to happen? How do you deal with stuff when it seems like everything is going wrong? And first of all, I, I want to say this to you. If you're in that situation and it seems like everything is going wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be defeated. It doesn't mean that there's no way out. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make it. it doesn't mean that you ought to just throw in the towel and quit. It doesn't mean that you, you've committed the unpardonable sin. It doesn't mean that you've, uh, you've got a demon. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you've even missed God's plan. And a lot of other things it doesn't mean. Now, it could mean one or more of these, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And we're going to see that as we continue on here. But the thing is, I want you to know that if you uh, have determined to live for God and by his word, a challenge to exercise your faith is going to come. Now, people get confused right here many times. But when you're determined that God is not changed, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his word is true and it's your final authority, and you're going to live by faith, I'm telling you, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. Now, I want to clear up right here. It's not God doing it because God knows for a fact that if if, if you're living by his word and trusting uh, in what he has promised you, you're going to make it. And if I don't, I'm going to fail. God knows that. He doesn't have to test us to see it. We, he knows it. And God knows that, 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 uh, <laughs> that he doesn't have to test us in that area. But the devil will throw every challenge, test, trial he can at you doing his best to get you to quit, to give up, to curse God and die. He did it with Adam. The classic biblical example is Job. And we know that this is what, what was going on behind the scenes. God revealed it to us. But I want you to know that what God promised <laughs> is that whatever the devil threw at you, he'll take it if we'll commit it to him and he'll work it for our good. This is what the life of Joseph shows us. And in John, in, in, uh, in uh, whatever book it is, Genesis chapter, <laughs> Genesis chapter 50, at the conclusion of that, Joseph said, you guys meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Amen. So <laughs> here, that's the way it works. Hallelujah. And so we need to recognize that, that it's the enemy that... Jesus made it very clear who was responsible for all the bad stuff in John 10, 10. And he, this is how you rightly divide the word of truth. Jesus said, it's the thief. 
You could just step over to this side and say, the thief, and Jesus said, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So any of those three areas, if it's coming against you, you know who's behind it. Then Jesus said on the other side here, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And when he talks about living an abundant life, he's not talking about having big cars and jet planes and big houses. Uh, If you'll check it out, that word life in that verse is a little Greek word, Z-O-E. I call it Zoe. But it simply means life as God lives it. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the life of God so that you can live it abundantly like God lives. Amen. And so this is where we're going. And, and, but when these things begin to come, listen at these scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. The trial of our faith is more precious than gold. You know, not a lot of Christians think about when they're being tested or tried that it, it's more precious than gold. Then how about James chapter 1 verse 2 says, count it all joy <laughs> when you fall into diverse temptations. James 1 and, and verse 12 says, blessed is the man that endures temptations for when he is tried he will, shall receive the crown of life. Yes. Folks, this just is confirming what Jesus said. When problems come, be of good cheer. And yet, I find that the majority of Christians, and I'm not trying to be tacky or judgmental, I'm just talking about by observation, I don't find a lot of Christians that cheer up when a problem comes. And boy, as a pastor, you hear some some bad situations coming from your people. And, and, you know, my counseling sessions didn't last real long when I was pastor. Now, I know you've got a pastor that loves you and cares for you and is patient with you and, and all those things. But, but I, I guess I got kind of hard-nosed on the Scripture, and they come in, and they start unloading about all their problems. And when I said, well, cheer up, that was usually the end of the counseling session. <laughs> but this is what Jesus said. And, and as, as I go around, and, of course, you know, I'm, I, I go to all of the Bible schools that we have. We've got 21 stateside, and I don't know, about 30, I think, overseas. And I've... I visited most of the campuses, and even in Bible college, I'm finding students that don't really cheer up when a problem comes. And I tell this story, I've told it I don't know how many times, but because I do travel a lot, I spend a lot of time in airports. And, and uh, I tell people, I don't eavesdrop on purpose. But, you know, if you're sitting in the airport terminal at a, at a gate and there's a hundred or so people around you, you can't help but hear some of the conversations. And, uh, you know, I think I can say this safely. I, I don't remember the last time I heard anybody praising God, but I heard people really going the other direction. And I'm thinking, well, if you just go by what you hear in airports, you might come to the conclusion Christians don't fly. <laughs> you know, we, I, I was, when I was coming down here Friday, I went to the Colorado Springs Airport, and, you know, they require you to get there two hours early, so I always try to do that. And so I get there, and I, I get checked in, go through security. I go down to my gate, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, looking at my watch, and it's, and it's telling me it, it's, it's about getting time to depart, but they haven't even boarded anybody yet. So I got up, and I looked out the window, and there was a plane sitting there. So I thought, well, the plane's here. In a few minutes, and it was about 15 minutes before we were supposed to take off, the lady came on the speaker and said, well, we can't board anybody yet because the pilot hadn't showed up. Well, everybody sitting around me said, Oh, hallelujah, praise God. (laughs) Now, if you believe that, (laughs) I've got some Oceanside property in Arizona I'd like to let you have. There wasn't a lot of rejoicing. And the man next to me, he just really unloaded about, this is the most pathetic thing. And I just kind of watched him. 
because I learned my lesson one other time that I was flying. This was back when we had two schools in California. We had one in Ontario, California, and one in, in San Jose, and so I was making, going to make both schools on one trip, so I flew into Ontario, and then to go from Ontario to San Jose, I got a ticket on Southwest Airline. Now, y'all are familiar with Southwest, right? You don't, you don't get assigned seats. You, you get put in a certain group, and that's how they board, and you got, everybody wants to be in the A, 1 through 15 group, because they're the first ones that get on the plane, you get the best seats, and so I, I just must have been the favor of the Lord on this particular trip. I got A3, and I was, I was pleased, and, and uh, the guy behind me, a businessman, boy, he was, he was sharp, had a suit and tie on, had a nice uh, alligator leather suit briefcase, and, and uh, man, he was decked out, and uh, you could tell he was a, a successful businessman, and so we're lined up, they call for A1 through 15, so we lined up, and there's one and two, and then me three, and the guy behind me four, and uh, so we're getting ready to board, and the, the lady comes on the speaker, and she says, now I need to uh, advise your UA group now, this is a connecting flight, and there's already 90 people on the plane. Well, the guy behind me went ballistic. I mean, he began to tell everybody, whether they were interested or not, that this just was not right. He flew this airline all the time. He was a faithful flyer. He does, I'm a businessman. I mean, red-faced. I thought he was going to have a stroke. He was so upset. And he was telling everybody, and as we were getting on the plane, he told that lady, I mean, he let her have it about how terrible it was. And we got on the plane, and of course, 90 people there, and how many of you know, they had all the good seats. So I made my way back, and I, I got to the third row from the back, but there was an aisle seat left, and that was good for me. So I sat down, well, here he comes, and he's still telling everybody <laughs> as he's walking along how, how unfair this was, and how bad he was being treated, and he shouldn't be treated that way. And, and he gets back, and then there's the middle seat just a little ways over from me. And so while he's putting his luggage up in the overhead, I thought, this guy needs to be calmed down and encouraged. So I felt I should try to do that. <laughs> so I, I tapped him on the hip as he's putting that, and he turned around, and he goes, wow. I mean, just, just kind of like that. And I, and I thought, I guess this might have been a mistake. But anyhow, I said, well, I just want to kind of encourage you if I can. I said, you realize those of us sitting here at the back are going to get to San Jose at the same time the one sitting in the front. <laughs> I thought it'd encourage him. It didn't. <laughs> but when we got off, I said, told you so. Because <laughs> what I'm saying, I don't know if that man was a Christian or not. But you couldn't tell it by the way he acted. Are y'all listening to me? Hello. See, this is, this is how we, we testify. This is how we let our light shine is by the, the way we conduct our life right. on a regular basis. And are we acting just like a person who doesn't know the Lord or are we going to act like Jesus said we ought to work? Now, why in the world would he say cheer up when these problems come? It's because he knew that he, the Bible, the Word of God promised that Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so we, we know that anything coming our direction is going to be temporary. And, and we don't have to get depressed and discouraged and walk around wringing our hands and telling everybody how bad it is. You know, some churches I've been to, their favorite song is... My problem's bigger than yours is. Yes, my problem's bigger than yours. Well, my problem's bigger than yours is. Yes, my problem's bigger than yours. You say you've never heard that song? You probably hadn't talked to another Christian and, and shared, shared what was going on in your life. They always want to one-up you. You know, man, I, I've, I've had this problem. Well, you ought to hear what's happened to me. Folks, that won't witness to anybody. Lost people can do it as well as you. So God wants us to be different and be of good cheer. Now, let's, let's continue to look at this deal. What do we do when things go wrong? 
And let me just give you a little nugget here, and I believe it's really important. I'm not going to tell you how I came to this understanding, but it was through a, a dramatic physical happening in my life a number of years ago. 15 or 16 years ago, I had a big-time heart attack and, and won't tell you all the details, but I'm still here. Hallelujah. But, but in that instant, because I'd been preaching this message of faith and victory and overcoming and, and that, that my healing was purchased at Calvary by the Lord Jesus Christ in the atonement by his stripes, I was healed. And, and so I was 65 years old when this happened, and, and I'd been preaching since I was, I'd been preaching like 35 years this message, and the temptation was to ask, why is this happening to me? Right. Now, I know none of you ever wonder that when something happens, but before I could even get it out of my mouth, the Lord stopped me, and it said, I want you to learn a lesson. That, well, I knew he wasn't talking about the heart attack. I knew he wasn't sending me the heart attack, but he said, I want you to understand what the enemy is doing. If he'd been able to kill you, you'd have still won. How I many of you know that? If, if, if I'd have died, I'd just been in glory today running around shouting hallelujah. So he said, you, you would have won even if he'd killed. But here's what he wanted, to get you to begin to doubt and question my word. He's after your faith. And he says it worked in the garden. And it's still working today among my children. Something comes contrary to the word and the first thing Christians begin to do, well, I thought it said. Is it really true? God said whatever the, the test or the trial is, his ultimate goal is to get you to begin to question God and his word. And he says primarily for two reasons. First one is I've made it very clear that without faith it's impossible to please me. That's Hebrews eleven six. if you need to know. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the devil is after your faith, so you can't be pleasing to God. But the second reason, he says, is because you can't resist him without faith. Because the scripture says, resist him steadfastly in your faith. So whatever attack comes, the ultimate goal of the devil is to get you to begin to question God and his word. Uh, and I, at that moment in time, I said, Lord, I... I don't even know, won't ever know why this happened, but I'll keep preaching. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Amen. And I've still been doing it, hallelujah, and walking in hell. So understand that that's what he's after. He's after your word. Yes. And, and sometimes when you're standing on the word, it seems like things are going in the wrong direction. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over in the book of Daniel. Uh, they, they were brought up and, and they said, we believe our God. Yes. And the next minute, they're in the fiery furnace. Yes. Things didn't look like they were going very well, did they? But how many of you know the rest of the story? Yes. When they looked down in there, there was another fourth man in the fire. Right. The Lord Jesus Christ, because he's promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us. How would you like to be a guy stand up in front of approximately three million people and said, follow me, I'm going to take you to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. And the next minute, you got the Red Sea in front of you and Pharaoh's army behind you. And three million hollering, why'd you bring us out here to die? <laughs> Not enough room, grave space in Egypt. <laughs> I mean, you know, God didn't start the fiery furnace. He won behind Pharaoh and, and the Red Sea. But you know what? The enemy was getting them to lose their faith in God. And yet... In both instances, God came through. But it looked like things were going worse, going wrong instead of going right. Are y'all following with me? All right, let's go to one final biblical happening here in Acts chapter 27. Now, y'all need to read the whole chapter. We don't have time to do that this morning. But I think most of you know Acts chapter 27. This is where Paul is has been put on a ship. He's supposed to go stand before Caesar. And he tells them in the beginning, I don't think we ought to do this. And they said, oh, no, everything's good. And so they start off on this journey. And in, uh, let's see if I can find the verse here. In Acts chapter 27, 
He's going to stand before uh, Caesar, and a bad storm comes up. Look at this at verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope. Now notice, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. I mean, you know, this is one of those situations that looked like everything was going wrong. But it got worse. <laughs> it, got, it didn't get better, it got worse. Now go down to verse 27. And but when the, when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that, we, uh, that they drew near to some country. And they sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found 15 fathoms. Then look at verse 29. Then fearing that we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors uh, out of the ship and wished for the day. Now here's a, here's a situation that Paul found himself in where all hope was gone that they'd be saved and then they were afraid they were going to crash upon the rocks. They threw out the anchors, but look at what it said. They wished for the day. Isn't it interesting, and I think everybody here can identify with this, how things seem to get worse at night. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're feeling bad in your body, you always feel worse at night. And, and, and you have these miserable nights, and, and you're waiting, just hoping for the morning. It just seems like in Paul's life, everything w was going bad and seemed to be getting worse instead of getting better, getting better. But then what happened? Well, the first thing that we can apply that Paul applied that deals with us when it seems like everything in our life is, is going wrong and going the wrong direction, we can do the first thing that Paul did, and this is wisdom, it says here in, in verse, uh, verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and, have get, and, and uh, to have gained this harm and, and loss. He's saying, this is saying after long abstinence. What does that mean? It means that Paul had been fasting and seeking God. When things seem to be going wrong, the first thing that we do is get the wisdom of God and, and ask him and seek him for direction. What do I do now when it seems like everything is going wrong? Seek the Lord. That's number one. And I don't know how long he did. It just says after long abstinence. would mean he was fasting and seeking God. And so then God comes back to him. And here's the second thing that happened. And in verse number 22, he says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. <laughs> now, you realize the storm's still going on. He's still dealing with... 275 sailors who are wet, seasick, terrified. All hope was gone. They were fearing they'd fall upon the rocks. And he's telling them, cheer up. Now, see, this Paul testifies that everything he knew, he was taught by Jesus. Well, he knew 16, John 16, 33, that when the problems come, be of good cheer. So now he's just doing what Jesus said to do. Cheer up. <laughs> Once again, I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times when problems come, I didn't feel very cheerful. Amen? But look at this. There, uh, there's all, that always goes down good when you're dealing with a bad situation. But this is one of the things Jesus always said to do. Let me just give you three uh, scriptures that Jesus said, be of good cheer. And three things that he revealed. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. And this is the man that had palsy. And Jesus said to him, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Well, I mean, no, you can cheer up. Your sins have been forgiven. 
Are you listening to me? I don't care what you're going through in life. You can be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Jesus took care of the sin problem, and you can be a good cheer that you're not going to be held accountable for your sins. So cheer up. The second time he says it is in Matthew 14, 27, and this is when he came walking to his group on the water. And, and they were fearful, and they were out in that storm. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost or something. And Jesus said to them, be of good cheer. I am with you. All right, what's that say to you and I? We can be of good cheer because we know our sins are forgiven. We can be of good cheer because God says, I'm coming and I'm going to be in you and I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Hallelujah. You can cheer up because you're never alone. You can cheer up because God is with you continually, 24 hours a day. And I think it was mentioned earlier in the service. We didn't have to get up here in the first 15 minutes beg God to come. Now, I've been in those services where the first thing that was prayed was, oh, God, come and be with us. Y'all ever heard that prayer? You know, uh, back in the early days before I knew any better, I was always wondering, did he come? Because they never would tell you if he did or not. <laughs> but he must have because when we left, they'd say, and God, go with us. <laughs> be of good cheer because God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Ghost has come to abide with you forever. You're never alone. So you can be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. You can be of good cheer because God will never leave you. And the third time he mentioned it is in John 16, which we've already talked about. You can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world, and you and I in him are world overcomers. Hallelujah. The Amplified takes us a step further in when it says be of good cheer. The Amplified says take courage, be confident, be certain, and undone it. That's when problems come. That's when things look like they're getting worse. You can hold on to these promises that you can be of good cheer. So Paul knew what Jesus would have said in that instance, and we need to know that. Cheer up. So here's Paul. In the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of 275 people who had lost everything they had, who had lost all hope of being rescued, who were wet, tired, afraid, maybe even seasick, and Paul steps out and says, be of good cheer. <laughs> Hallelujah. The, you know, the devil desires for you to become depressed and discouraged, and he wants you to throw a pity party and begin to whine and complain about why did this happen to me and oh dear what am I going to do it's hard well stop feeling sorry for yourself right. amen right. when you throw your pity party you're the only one that comes right. stop being feeling sorry for yourselves and hear the word of the Lord and cheer up yeah. be confident be certain be undaunted why because the Lord your God is with you if you simply trust God and believe his word and, and don't waver, God will visit you. Yeah. How do I know that? Well, verse 23. And he, Paul says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Well, now we may not have an angel show up, but if you're operating in faith, God will visit you. And like I say, it may not be an angel it may be just a verse of scripture, but for sure God is going to be there when you seek him and when you cheer up. And how do I know? Because uh, Psalm 37, 25, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging him for bread. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. We can do all things through Christ who strengthened us, Philippians 4, 13. Listen to this from Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivers them out of all their troubles. Hallelujah. Keeps going. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. 
First Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Hold on. Cheer up. God will make his presence known in your bad situation. Then the next thing that happened, <laughs> the third thing, you seek Lord. Number two, you cheer up. Number three, look at this in verse 24. Saying, fear not. Fear not. So here's one thing you do, cheer up. Here's something you don't do, don't fear. Fear not. Fear not. He said, and, and the Lord said to him, fear not, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So fear not. And, and cheer up and fear not. Uh, don't yield to fear. God hadn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Uh, perfect love cast out fear. So don't panic when things seem to be going wrong because panic really gets the devil excited. And he responds to fear like God responds to faith. Listen to these promises. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? All the promises of God. So he says, cheer up. Fear not. Hallelujah. And then when everything seems to be going wrong, remember, you're a blessing to others. Look, look at this, the last part of verse 24. He says to Paul, fear not, Paul. You must be brought to Caesar, and God hath given thee all them that are with thee. Do you realize the world is still standing because we're here? You realize that when, when we get out of here, however that may be, now I'm not going to deal with your eschatology of end time events. I'll just tell you uh, on my part, I'm out of here on the first two. So you can believe what you want to believe. You want to stay and tribulate according to your faith, be to it. But, <laughs> but, but I'm leaving. And, and, and when we're gone, when the church is taken out, however that happens, guess what? The world's going to be in a heap of trouble. We're the preserving factor right now on planet Earth. We're the salt and we're the light and we're keeping this world in, uh, alive and the people in it alive because of God's presence with us. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? If they could just find one righteous... Y'all remember the story. Well, how many of you know there's enough righteous in this room uh, to keep this entire area out of judgment? God has given us favor and made us a blessing. You are a blessing, a blessing to others. And listen to this. The word says, I will bless thee, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And some of you say, well, I think that was, I think he was speaking to Abraham. Well, listen to this in Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're blessed to be a blessing. And because we're here, the world is still standing. I'm telling you, we are preserving planet Earth. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. I, I tell you, we're, we're here on purpose. Now, folks, you could go on and on and on with this story, but how many of you know, after all this happened, just as God spoke, Paul was saved, 275 people on the ship were saved, and then when Paul got on that island, miracles started happening. But it looked like, for the time being, in Paul's life, 
who was in the will of God, it looked like everything around them was going in the wrong direction. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. I can't even find my pocket. <laughs> but folks, I want you to, I, I hope that I've encouraged you that when problems come, and they will come, because Jesus said they would come. But take heed and seek God. In other words, it's too easy for people in a church like this to hear the word all the time. When a problem comes up, we're quick to quote the word that deals with that problem. But have we really sought the Lord? In other words, these scriptures aren't magic words. They have to be quickened by the Spirit. And how, how, how do you know which one's going to be quickened if you don't seek God for the wisdom? If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraids not. So let's don't get into this routine of when something comes up, we just quit to quote a scripture that deals with it. Let's seek the Lord and, and see what he has to say how to deal with that particular situation. And then cheer up because you know it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Hallelujah. And then fear not because once again, fear is just food for the devil. You don't have to fear. Perfect love cast out fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, so don't operate in a spirit of fear. Hallelujah. And know you're a blessing. Hallelujah. And you're blessed to be a blessing. So I hope and pray and believe that if we shared the word this morning, you'll be encouraged. And when the things seem to be going wrong, you're not going to act like the world, walk around with a frown on your face, wringing on your hands, pacing the floor, telling everybody how bad it is, you're just going to rejoice in the Lord. Paul is in prison. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He tells you all those things that happened. But when he and Paul and Silas are tossed into the prison, locked up in stocks, down that dark, dirty pen, probably rats running all around, at midnight, they begin to sing praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, all ye people. That everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And all of a sudden, the jail cells begin to open. Earth begin to shake. A lot of people say that's because when they were praising God, God was patting his foot and everything went. went. And Paul and Silas praised the Lord at midnight in a dark hour because they knew their God was faithful. And what looked like everything was wrong. He was going to turn it around for their good. Amen. So bless you guys. I'm going to turn the service over to the pastor. And uh, he'll bring it to conclusion like he wants to. Thanks, see to get off of this thing. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Ooh, thank you, Pastor. Amen. Hallelujah, man. Isn't that great? Man, alive. Man, aren't you glad you've got a test for your testimony? Well, you're more than a conqueror and you've got something to overcome. You know, it's so easy for us to doubt, oh, what did I do wrong or why did God fail, right? You know, and it's like, no. Yeah, there's these things. There's a fight of faith. I love that. You know, when they, there, these things are going to come by to test your faith. Once you decide that we're grounded in the word, you're grounded in the word, guys. It's the final authority. And what a great word of encouragement. Thank you, Lord. Let's just close our eyes here. Let's just take that to heart. Father. We're so grateful for the word you've spoken to us through your spirit. This is a word in season, Father. We open our hearts to receive that. That is something that each one of us have to decide right now. Will I hear the word of the Lord? Will I receive his word? Will I act on it? Because without doubt, Jesus did say, in this world, you will have trouble. So decide right now, what are you going to do when that testimony comes or test comes or opportunity to overcome? It's your choice.
Will you choose to be salt and light? To be of good cheer when you encourage yourself in the Lord. All these great scriptures, I encourage you to take this word and go and break it down. Grab those scriptures, write them down. Store them in your heart because we need it. This was a word in season. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We so appreciate that, Lord. And now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you came with a friend, please know that everything starts by becoming a child of God, by just receiving the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you. You are the salvation. You are my salvation. You have paid the price. You have taken the penalty for my every sin. Hallelujah. So I receive you right now. It starts with that decision. That's your choice today. That's your decision today. Please don't go home. Or if you're watching online, make sure you contact that prayer number. Text the word prayer to that number and we'll be in touch with you. Or if you're here, please stay behind and talk to one of our prayer counselors. We want to minister to you. Send you home with something. A little extra. Thank you, body of Christ. Just be aware of his body. You know, for this reason, we were speaking about this last night at dinner, but for this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and even some of you have fallen asleep because we don't recognize the body. Understand that there's a great benefit to recognizing the body. You are surrounded by a part of the body, Jesus' body, where his body has been broken for us. And so, Lord, we just thank you. Take a moment to recognize your body that's taken the penalty as well as the body among us, next to you, around you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. I tell you what, we could dwell in this for a, a, a while. I want to encourage you, after a great message like this, it's great to get an emotional great, and, but take it home, guys. Latch onto it. Don't let it go. Store these things up in your heart. Amen. Won't you stand with me? Let's just close our eyes for a second. If you feel comfortable raising your hands, just raise your hands. Just thank Him one more time. Just thank you, Jesus, for the word. I receive that word. Receive that word in Jesus' name. And we bless Wendell Parr for being a delivering, a faithful minister to bring the word to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.